I'm Josh Kalinowski, and this is Win the Day with James Whitaker. You're listening to Win the Day with James Whitaker. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, here's your host, James Whitaker. Let's go! Hey winners, welcome back to Win the Day. If this is your first time here, we sit down with some of the world's true change makers to give you all the tips, tools, and strategies to win the day every day. The quote for this episode comes from baseball player Jackie Robinson and says, a life is not important except in the impact it has on other lives. Our guest today is Joshua Kalinowski, a former pro baseball player who empowers people to live a life of exceptional impact, influence, and faith. His athletic career, which culminated in playing for the Colorado Rockies Major League Baseball team, taught him how taking risks, being disciplined, and committing to a larger vision all helped overcome short-term adversity and make incremental progress on your dreams. Today, Josh is the CEO of Man Made, where he helps ambitious men rise to their potential and thrive in the five core areas of their lives, being faith, family, fitness, finance, and future. He's also a business coach, best-selling author, motivational speaker, podcast host, and CEO of eight different companies. And when he's not changing the world, he's being a committed husband and father to four children. Josh has built a reputation for making the most out of every day, and that's why he's here to help us win the day. In this episode, we'll go through the dizzying highs and crushing lows of his career as a pro athlete, how he forged a new purpose-driven mission to help inspire others, the biggest mistakes men make, and how they can step into their greatness, and how you can thrive in all aspects of your life in an increasingly uncertain world. Before we begin, remember that the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. So if there's a friend or loved one out there who needs to hear this episode or could use some help to win the day, share it with them right now. All right, let's win the day with my good friend, Josh Kalinowski. Josh, great to see you, mate. James, it is a pleasure to be here, brother. Well, it's so great to have you in the studio. You've had an incredible career, so I'm so excited to talk about all the amazing things that you have done and the different chapters of your life that have led to all the the things that you've done today. Uh, A lot of people are stuck in life because they have a fixed mindset, you know, that victim mentality rather than a growth mindset. When did you adopt a growth mindset for the first time and, and how did your life change as a result? Yeah, my man. Well, it really wasn't until later in my life. Obviously, uh, at the very beginning stages of my life, I knew that I was going to be an athlete. I knew I was going to either play baseball, chase that football dream. And that was, that was my destination. That was exactly where I thought I was going to go. You know, I had an internal scoreboard of who I was going to become, uh, before I was even able to step into that arena. And then of course, obviously as things change, as life changed and the devastation of not being able to fulfill what I thought at that time was my purpose really led me down a path of self-discovery, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of internal conversations with myself, um, a lot of overcoming self-doubt, fears, all the things that happens when devastation hits you. Uh, and it's that journey that I've been able to find uh, really, truly what I was meant for and that greater purpose in my life. What I love about you is so open you've been about your vulnerabilities that you've you've had and the challenges that you've had in, in so many different areas. And I'd love to chat to you about uh, when you had set your sights on becoming a pro athlete. So yeah. you were an aspiring baseball player at that stage. What were some of the ups and downs from, from that phase? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people know um, from an early age that they 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 want to do something, right? That, that there's something greater in life. And a lot of it is like, well, I want to be president of the United States at one point. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a fireman. And, and from a very early stage, I knew that once again, that I was going to be an athlete somewhat. My, one of my heroes was Bo Jackson. 
And I loved it because he was a two-sport athlete. He had no limitations. And for me, a small kid in Wyoming as a big fish in a small pond, I had this dream of becoming this professional football player and professional baseball player. And in, and my father really instilled in me that I could do anything that I wanted to do. So I got to chase that for so long. But unfortunately, once again, as life changes, as life happens to us, um, when that jersey came off, I had to really figure out like what I was made for, like what I was meant for at a greater path, because my identity was so wrapped up into that jersey, that profession. And since then, it's been it's been a challenge for me to really kind of own who I am, try to rediscover that guy again. Mm. And I think a lot of people are challenged with because they never ask the questions. They never take time to step back and say, okay, if this is the direction of life and now I'm going in this direction, what am I truly meant for then? Mm. Why did this have to happen in order for me to open up that next chapter? And we look at it as a defeat. We look at that as a failure. And as you well know, because you've interviewed so many people, um, they've been able to overcome that failure by a lot of internal health and a lot of internal um, reflection in their lives and and motivating themselves to really step into that greatest chapter. Mm. It's a question I had for you later, but I wanted to throw it in now. I think this might be good timing. A lot of the conversations that I have with people who feel like they're treading water, they're not living with purpose or with passion, in my experience, it comes down to two things. They're not clear on who they are and they're not clear on where they want to go. Have you got a process that you use to help people that you work with understand those two things? Yeah, I I think it's perfect. In fact, actually, so uh, the newest book, which is uh, entitled Nice Guys Failed, good men need to do great things again. Mm. With this idea of like, what does it take to be a good man? And and even though I know that we're talking to a lot of women as well too, my, my focus with Man Made uh, and my passion is really helping men become men again. Mm. And we believe very similar with you, there's three things that every man needs to have in order to be a good man. One is that they need to have humility in their life, right? They need to understand where they're at in life. Uh, they need to have, uh, they, they need to understand their purpose in life. And then they need to take action. And so through the process, what we do is we expose men to the elements of nature. I think that is absolutely imperative for men to get back to nature, for men to be rewilded again, Mm. because there's something inside of us that we feel like we're being held back, right? There's something inside, there's this missing piece in all of us men that uh, that we feel like we need to go out and have that adventure again. Right, we need to get our testosterone again. We need to feel, uh, we need to feel fear to a certain point again, because when we do that, we feel alive. When we do that, we feel like we're uh, stepping into that greatness that we potentially can have. Mm. Uh, a number of us just went on a uh, on a big epic trip and climbed the Grand uh, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Now it's one of the tallest peaks in the state, but it's it is most certainly the most famous peak mm. uh, in our great state. And we didn't know what we were getting into. Like none of us are climbers. Now, I've got our man, William Brownham. He's on. He's been on the show and just an excellent guy, right? Just an awesome guy. Does anyone and, you want on the mountain with you? He's, he's the guy to have. Yes. Yeah. You want him, you know, obviously as a, as a retired Navy SEAL, we have uh, Jimmy Clager, who is another one of our gentlemen in man-made. Uh, he's a 20-year veteran. Uh, he's a retired uh, ranger, mm. uh, retired as a lieutenant colonel too. Like you can't get any better You're than that. You're in good company. <laughs> right. And then of course, obviously I've got my brother as well too and myself. And so we're kind of the odd men out on this whole thing. Uh, but we've got an amazing guide. Like we have a world-renowned guide. And what we got to do was experience, first of all, the fear of death. Like we really got to experience that for the first time in my life mm. is this fear like, 
this is the point of no return. This is the point where if we're not focused on the next step, right? Um, oftentimes, as we know, that one thing that paralyzes us is that we're so focused on the way future me, mm. right? The guy that I want to be in 10 years or 15 years or 20 years. Uh, and we forget the moment. We forget the next step. We forget the next place where we should be putting our hand, right? Mm. And for us, it really set us back to realize, okay, I'm not going to be focused on that. I'm not going to be, I'm not looking down either because looking down is paralyzing. Mm. I got to be focused on where I'm putting my next thresh hold on my foot and where am I grabbing for my next handhold so that I can get through the moment, mm. right? And so for men, for us, it was such a great opportunity for us to just be present, be in that moment, to um, come together as men, to do something as scary as crap as men, but then to be able, for, first of all, was to talk about it, <laughs> to experience it, and then to reflect on it. Mm. And I will tell you the growth, not only that happened just in that 18 hours of trekking 20 miles, uh, 13,775 feet up in the air, um, the 5,000 calories that we burned, the 41,000 steps that we did, <laughs> like all of that was great, but the power came in the reflection of it. The power came in, we were all sitting around a table. We were all reflecting on it. We had a cigar, we had a glass of whiskey <laughs> and we started one by one going, what was it that we learned? What was it that you were empowered by? And then how are you going to take action on it in your life going forward? Did you recognize in your baseball career that a lot of men, perhaps yourself included, were lost, even though from the outside looking in, it looked like they had a lot of great things going on? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, um, in any athletic sport, right, we live within a world within a world. Mm -hmm. Military men do the same mm -hmm. thing. They live within a world within a world. And the outside world really doesn't have permission to go into that, nor can they relate to that, right? And I think one of the biggest challenges that we face and we found, and the reason why Man Made was created is because when I, when I took the jersey off, um, I got on the other side of the sidelines. And that's a, really, that's a really hard transition to make. You know, William talks about it. It's the best analogy that I, can, that I can come up with is that when Thanos, when he snapped his fingers, right, and everybody dis disappeared around him, that's what it's like to get into that next chapter of life oftentimes, whether it's because you retired from a sport, because you retired from the military, maybe you got divorced, maybe you had a complete career change because of the last couple of years that had happened with COVID or something that happened in the economy that you just, it wasn't something that you wanted to do, you were forced into it. And so you end up finding yourself all alone. And as an athlete, when that jersey comes off, oftentimes the military men, oftentimes the marriage, oftentimes it's your entire identity goes with that. And so you've got to recreate the man again. And so I think it's really important for people, first of all, to understand that, but then you have to walk through that. Mm. You have to be willing to embrace that. You have to be willing to get the scars from that and help you as you proceed into the next chapter of greatness. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, in your awesome book, Strike Three, I want everyone to go and grab a copy of Strike Three. It's available on Amazon or at Josh's website. You mentioned that statistics are everything to a player, you know, how every athlete is ultimately reduced to a collection of statistics based on how you've performed historically on a, uh, a you know, certain tasks. Yeah. Uh, metrics of success are very important, but what did you bring? What strengths did you have in your baseball career that weren't captured in the statistics? Yeah. Well, first of all, I really believe that everybody has a uniqueness inside of them. You know, we talk and oftentimes about like, well, you've got greatness. You've got greatness inside of you. And, you know, as a man of faith, I, I believe that we have greatness because of because of God. I believe that there, there's, there's greatness in it because we were created by the greatest, right? But I think, unfortunately, the word greatness 
paralyzes men way too much, paralyzes women's me too much as well too. Um, you know, if you talk to your kids, you're like, dude, you got greatness in you. And they're like, man, I, I, dad, I struggle to brush my teeth, right? <laughs> you know, like they don't, they can't relate to that. Mm. But when we can say, hey, listen, you've got a uniqueness about you that you can hone, that you can practice, that you can work on, and you can turn it into your greatness. Well, now we have a chance. Now we can have some direction. Now we can say, okay, I get it. You're right, dad, I am unique. Or mm. yeah, you're right, I am unique. There's something unique about me that's just a little bit different than everybody else, right? I'm uniquely and wonderfully made. And I can turn that into greatness. And baseball was that for me. I had this uniqueness about me. I was, once again, a big fish in a very small pond. Well, that was a blessing. Because if I would have been in California, Texas, Colorado, it wouldn't have been nearly as, I wouldn't have been nearly as big and the pond would have been a lot bigger. So I was able to stand out. I was tall. I was lanky. I was left-handed. I could throw hard. I could hit a baseball. It just, it all made sense to me. But what I did with relentless pursuit was I perfected that. I turned that into my greatness. And because of that, I got to chase my dream for so much longer than anybody else. I got to chase that dream so for um, not as long as I wanted to or I had envisioned, but it was still an amazing ride now that I look back on it. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity because those lessons I learned have helped me and pushed me so that I never gave up on myself. Even though there were times or moments that I most certainly did, I never truly gave up on myself completely. I always had just this little shimmer of hope that there was something more. Mm. And and being a pro athlete, I mean, it's such a brutal, there's so much commitment and, and sacrifice and things to to get there. Uh, the life of a pro athlete, like in so many other areas, it's a road paved with good intentions, yeah. but littered with broken dreams. Yeah. How do you reconcile that journey today when you look back at it? Yeah, man, I tell you what, if, uh, well, I didn't ever go to therapy, but I did. <laughs> Here we are today, maybe right. this is it. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but what I did is I had to go through a lot of self-discovery. And I think mm. a lot of people, a lot of men in particular, we have a hard time with our emotions. We just bury them and bury them and bury them, right? And then of course, what ends up happening, they manifest themselves in so many areas of our life, drugs and alcohol, depression, divorce, all of these things that I've seen so many of my fellow athletes, men um, experience in their lives, but we're so good at blanketing all that and saying that we're okay. We're so good at just trying to move on with life, burying it and going, you know, listen, we don't need to talk about it. That's fine. You know what? Um, that was a chapter in my life. And, you know, there was one point in my life I was meant for greatness, but you know, life is good now, right? And and so for me, I wasn't satisfied with that. I, I just couldn't do that. You know, whether it was because my father had instilled in me that you were meant for more um, or the fact that, I just innately, just somewhere, somewhere deep inside of me, there was just this, this, this little flicker of fire telling me, you got to do something greater. Mm. Like you were meant for so much more, right? I didn't know how to describe it. Didn't know how to bring that out because there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of regret. You know, I look back at my career and I, there are many moments where I was like, when I made that decision, was that the downward decision of my career? When I did that, was that, did that lead to the eventual dismissal or the retirement. I, I, you know, I retired, but it was because I was broken. Um, was that, was that the decision that led me down the path of, uh, either failure or retirement mm -hmm. in that career? And so I eventually what I ended up having to do is I had to do a lot of soul searching, but I had to do that with other men. Mm -hmm. So I was searching for other groups. I was searching for a brotherhood. I was searching for a locker room of guys again. And that eventually led me to so many different weekends, whether it was, um, uh, an organization that was strictly uh, putting me through hell, whether it was an organization that was putting me through the spiritual realm of life, mm -hmm. all of these things eventually led me down to 
we got to create man-made. Mm. We got to create man-made because there's so many men out there that have so much potential. Mm. They just don't know where to turn. Mm. And in the book that you're writing at the moment, you mentioned the eight attributes to empower every man to do to do great things. What, what are the most important qualities that stand out from that list? Yeah, well, two of them that I feel are so important are um, good men need scars. Good, good men need scars. And uh, there's a great story about this. One of the things I loved about writing this book was just doing the research of good men. Like, what do... Like, what do good men look, what do good men look like in the day, right? Uh, and there's a gentleman uh, that was named as Gentleman Jack. He was a boxer. His name was James Corbett, but they nicknamed him Gentleman Jack. Uh, and, in, and in 1892, uh, he was set to face a guy named John Sullivan. Now, John Sullivan was like the man. Like, dude, he was like, he was the man. He was the greatest fighter to that day. Um, he had a reputation. This is back in the day when they had bare knuckle fights as well, too. Brutal. Uh, unbelievably, I just can't even imagine, right? And so he was set to fight him in the world championship. Now, when he stepped into the ring, he knew exactly who he was facing, right? He looked at his opponent, opponent, and he saw the scars. You know, John Sullivan, uh, who was really nicknamed, he was nicknamed the Man, but he was also nicknamed the Boston Strong Strongman. Okay, you don't get a name like that for being a weak dude, right? <laughs> there was a fight that he had; they went sixty-one rounds, and finally, the corner man had to stop the fight because both of him and his opponent were so bloodied and so absolutely beat up that neither one of them could lift up their arms. I mean, just imagine like getting into a fight that you, that you would never quit, but you didn't know how to stop, right? He also had another one. This is an awesome story of he was fighting this guy named Killian, and this was actually a bare knuckle fight. He was in France where it was highly illegal, so they had to go to the secret place. And on the 44th round, it looked like John was going to lose this fight, right? He goes to the corner. He throws up. He gets himself repositioned again, and he went 31 rounds. Killian's corner man had to stop the fight because of the brutal beating that John had put on him. And this is all well known, right? Yeah. And so when Corbett got into the ring, he knew that that's the guy that he was facing. Now, Corbett at that time in his career had not fought a lot of fights, he had not fought, uh, John Sullivan had fought in his career 454 fights. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable what these guys would do in an entire, they'd fight hundreds of fights a year, right? But Corbett had not done that, but he had had a lot of success. He was 30 pounds lighter than John, and he was also shorter than him too. So he knew he had this uphill, uphill battle, right? But he knew that he had scars because he had got himself to this position to become a world champion. So when they both got into this ring, I can't imagine that both of them knew not only did they have scars personally, but the scars that the other man brought to the table too. And what it did is it gave them this sense of defeat is not impossible, but it's going to be so worth it, mm. right? And so as the men stepped into that arena, they went back and forth and it was a awesome fight. I mean, just hits and knockdowns, punches and knockdowns. And finally in the 21st round, Corbett landed a vicious left hook. Knocked down Sullivan, who never got up. And he won the championship. And the, the fight was later punned the day the man beat the man. And so there's always somebody that we're fighting as men. But are we willing to get the scars? Mm -hmm. Are we willing to go out there and get the scars? And a lot of it is we think about like these internal scars that we have to deal with. But I will say that it's also the exterior scars. 
you know, on the trip when we climbed the Grand, I was waiting for an opportunity to get a scar because I wanted to be able to say, yeah, you see that scar right there on my forearm right there. That was when a rock came down and it got me and, you know, pushed me into that rock. Exactly. Right. I was looking for an opportunity to get an exterior scar so we could talk about it. You know, in ancient Greek, uh, Greek times, they had gyms, right? They were the ones that created the gym and the gym, the gymnasium, the, the Latin word from gymnasium is gymnos. Well, gymnos is, is, uh, is, uh, defined as naked. So when Greeks would go to the gym for the physically fit, and it was for men, you had to come naked, right? Now we know that Greeks, um, they love the body, right? The mm. physique of the body, both male and female was very important to them. Going to the gym was not only about becoming physique, uh, physical and, and having your physique, but it was also about exposing the scars so that men could see the scars. Young men can see the scars of the old men to know that they did something. They did something in their lives. And so it was with a badge of honor that these men came to the gym mm. so that they could show the young men or they could show the men that they had grown up with what mm. they had done in battle or what they had done to go fight for and what they stood for. And so we as men into the, today, we need to look for scars. Mm -hmm. we, look, need, we need to look for opportunities to get those scars. We need to stop the atrophy in our life. And so with man-made, we help men go get scars. Mm -hmm. We help them and put them in environments where they can go out there and do the things that make them feel alive. And now they got stories to tell. I think it's one of the greatest things about this book that I've discovered is just this opportunity for men to realize how important scars are again. Especially the, the fact that the wound is where the light enters you as yeah. well, which I think is particularly important when you're going through different phases of your life. I love that, dude. Yeah. That is awesome, man. So That's scars really is a good. big one. What's the, what's yeah. the next one? The other thing is that um, I think good men need to embrace. They need to embrace the moment that they're in right now. Listen, we don't always like the chapter of life that we're in. And for me, a lot of my chapter was spent in regret, in fear and thought in that I thought I thought I destroyed everything in my life that I was never going to have find fulfillment that I was you know I was going to be a dad I loved my wife my my wife is amazing she is uh, she has been a rock star for me and who I am as a man today she's helped me become a better father all of this all these things I had a really good life but I wanted so much more I thought I was meant for so much more but the thing is is that for me I didn't embrace that chapter of my life I didn't embrace the opportunities that were really lying before me. Mm -hmm. And so a man needs to embrace that chapter of their life. They need to embrace their purpose. They need to embrace their calling. They need to embrace the difficulties that are faced with. Mm -hmm. There's another guy, if you don't mind me, I'll tell you another story yeah. here. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Raymond Colby. Uh, and Raymond Colby was born relatively close to that same 1992, or 1892 is when he was born. At the age of 20, so he was born in Poland. At the age of 20, he saw his father arrested by German soldiers. Now you got to imagine this time of the uh, this time of the of the, uh, of uh, uh, at that era, um, Hitler was becoming he was coming to rise, and there was a lot of things going on in, in Germany. His father gets arrested, and he doesn't go to trial. He doesn't even go to jail. He gets arrested because he's outspoken because he's talking about freedom. He's talking about the things that are going on that are right and the things that are going on wrong and um, what Germany is doing to the Polish people. They take him to the center courts and they hang him and they leave him there for days. And as I think about that, I'm like, man, when I was 20 years old, what would I have done? Like, what would you have done as a man watching your father being hung and there's nothing you can do about it, mm -hmm. right? Raymond knew from a very early age prior to that, that there was something in his life that he was meant to do. Like he knew this, 
and he actually was following. He went to he went to a school that was across the border, which was illegal for them to go over. Him and his brother did this, but they did this in order to pursue what they knew that they needed to do in life. But instead of it distracting him that his father got hung, uh, instead of it um, making it so that he felt worthless, right? Um, something tragic that happened in his life. How many times does that happen to us as men that mm-hmm. we stand back in that and go, okay, now I get to play the victim now, right? He didn't play the victim. It actually built that resilience in him. And he knew with even more conviction that he was supposed to do what he was doing. Mm-hmm. From then on, he went on to do some amazing things as a man. Uh, in fact, he went to Japan. Now at this time in era as well too, this is really great uh, to understand this too, is that when people would go, when especially when white people would go to, uh, to Japan at that time, if they found that you were doing something that they didn't like, they would capture you and then they would skin you alive. And this was a regular habit of what happened over there to men that were going over there, women that were going over there, children that were going over there, that they did things, Christian. let's just say they were Christians and they went over there and they're preaching the gospel. But people of missionary work, they were going over there. This is what happened on the regular basis, but he still went, knowing that death was highly probable, right? He goes over there to Japan and he puts a printing press together. And he starts distributing millions of copies of things that he's been working on, literature that he had uh, that he had written, and he starts creating a movement over there. Well, then he feels like he's being called. He's listening to this inner voice, which is super important for us to do this, right? He's listening to this inner voice that says that he needs to build a monastery on the side of this mountain. And they're like, why would I build a monastery on the side of a mountain? This makes no sense. Like, this is the worst place I should be building this. This doesn't make any sense. But he listens to that inner voice and he does it. Well, that was really the, this is a pivotal moment too, because we all know this is right outside of Hiroshima mm. when the atomic bomb was uh, dropped. Everything was devastated in that region, except for that monastery, because it was protected by the side of that mountain. Unbelievable story. He gets sick. He goes back to Poland. From radiation? Uh, no, he got sick because he had some ailments internally mm-hmm. from, uh, from, uh, some other wounds that he had been dealing with since he was a young boy. He goes back to Poland because of his health. Of course, now Germany is in full force. German is, uh, Germany is in full force. Hitler is in full power and he's trying to take over the region. He starts harboring Jews. The Gestapo comes and arrests him. He goes to a prison in Poland. It, one of, it is next to Auschwitz is one of the worst, uh, worst prisons that are out there. They starve people to death. The conditions are, amazing, are horrible because uh, of the cold and the bitterness. Uh, they don't sleep inside. They sleep outside exposed to all the elements. He stays there for a couple months. Then he gets transferred over to Auschwitz. Now, we all know that. I mean, that is just literally a death sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, 10% of people that went into the Auschwitz camps came out alive. Everybody else obviously perished. He gets over there and he gets commissioned with a general over there named the Bloody Knot. Now, I don't know about you, but anybody that's got a nickname named the Bloody Knot, I don't want him anywhere near close to me, right? I mean, this is like the worst scenario that you can get. Mm. This guy was notorious uh, for his brutality. And he had this obsession. He had this really weird obsession with blood, right? And he saw... um, he saw uh, Raymond when he came in and he picked him out and he knew there was something weird about this guy. He knew there was something different about this guy. And so he made it a point to be even extra brutal on him. In fact, one time he made him carry the heaviest 
uh, log that they had had. They were going back and forth uh, and carrying these logs, and that's what the that's what the German army would do. Is that the, they would they would have this monotonous thing that they would make people do: dig ditches, fill them back in; dig ditches, fill them back in. He made Raymond carry this uh, this overwhelmingly uh, heavy uh, uh, board. When he collapsed, he just brutalized him, just beat him to a pulp, left him there for dead. Raymond would have died if it wasn't for the fact that the rest of his inmates carried him back to the infirmary. He spent two weeks there and recovered. At one point, three of the inmates they thought had escaped. So the guard made 10 of them uh, die. Basically, got to the point where 10 of them had to come out. They said, you're going to starve to death. You go down to bunker. Upon that, one of the guys screamed out loud and said, I've got a father, I've got, I've got children, I've got a wife, like you can't do this to me. And of course, obviously the German guards don't really care about this at all. Raymond raised his hand and took the man's place. Now this is absolutely uncharacteristic of a guard to do this and say, yeah, absolutely go ahead and do that. I mean, they would never allow this to do that. But for some reason, for some really interesting reason, the guard said, yeah, you can take his place. And so as I think about the story, it's just like I constantly keep thinking about Raymond after all this suffering that he'd been through, after being spat on, after being beaten, after being made uh, uh, ridiculed uh, uh, verbally by all these guards. He's at this point in his life where he's had so much success. He's made so much impact. And he could, if he just shut his mouth, mm. he'd probably survive. There's a good chance he might survive this somehow, right? But he raised his hand and he embraced the moment. He embraced that chapter of his life that he, like nobody wants to go into that, right? This is a death sentence. He's literally going to walk to his death by starvation. And he does it. He takes the place of this man. They put him down into this infirmary or the, this bunker. And he lasts two weeks. Everybody else dies except for Raymond. Finally, the guards get sick and tired of having to go down there and check on him. They actually kill him by lethal injection. And I say this story because I know that there's so many of us guys that were, were afraid to embrace this chapter in our life. We're afraid to, to do the thing that we know potentially could break us through that next great moment in our life because we're going to have to go through something painful. We're going to have to make a hard decision, right? Raymond made the hardest decision of his life because he took the place of another man knowing that it was going to lead to death. And I thought about this too, because one of the things that is so remarkable is that there was no guarantee that that man that he took the place for wasn't going to die the next day. It wasn't like, hey, you're free, go home, go see your children, uh, go see your wife, right? He took the place of that dude in that moment for that moment. And we're not willing to do that as men oftentimes because we're too far looking down the future of our lives. And we don't, we miss the moment, right? And so it was just another great lesson for me as a good man, we need to embrace the moments in our lives, mm. even if they are painful. Raymond Colby became Maximilian Colby. He was a priest. And decades later, he was canonized. And at his canonization was the man that he took his place for and his wife and his family. And that guy from that point on went on a mission to make known what Maximin had done in his life. And Maximum Colby is known as one of the greatest saints that's ever lived. 
but only because he embraced the moment mm. because he knew who he was and he was willing to pay the price. How different to the stories that are out there that people watch on the news and the other information that people can consume or are consuming at the moment. If only people could just absorb more stories like that, you can, you can feel it. I mean, yeah. people are watching this, this junk, this over and over. The news is the exact same thing over and over and over again, just in a, a slightly different way. It's completely depressing. But hearing a story like that, that should give people a sense of empowerment and recognize that you can have a much bigger, even a generational impact if you really want it. Yeah. And um, the victimhood that a lot of people, maybe particularly men, feel they might say, it's all right for Josh, you know, former pro athlete, or it's all right for these other people who might have had um, a better upbringing or, you know, married someone else or different, different, didn't have these things happen to them. How can people rise out of that feeling of victimhood and that woe is me attitude to step into something greater when they feel like they just don't have any motivation for it? Right. That's a great question. Um, and I don't know if there's, a, if there's an easy answer for that. Um, but I will tell you this, you have to surround yourself with other people. It is just so imperative. You know, when I tried to do life alone, it was impossible. Mm. You know, I was broken. You know, I, I mean, I never fulfilled my dream. I was chasing that dream to become a professional athlete. I was chasing that dream to become a Hall of Fame athlete, right? It, and, and it was taken away from me. I never got to achieve that. So there was this huge hole in, in, in my heart. There was a huge hole in me. But it wasn't until I started to surround myself with other men or other great quality people for that matter. I felt like I was on an island by myself. And I think people unfortunately feel like they're the only ones going through what they're going through and no one else knows how to relate. Mm. And so you have to be willing to share. You have to be willing to raise your hand and saying, okay, no, I need, I just, I need some help. I need somebody to, I need a, somebody to, to breathe life into me. I need somebody that I can talk to. You know, we believe in three things about men particularly is that men need to be pushed, right? The physical thing, so we were just talking about, but men need to be heard. They need to be heard because there's things that are going on inside of them that they don't feel comfortable expressing to people. And it's amazing when you get and talk to a man, how much they will open up mm. about the things that are going on in life when you just allow them to do it. But then also men need to be appreciated as well too. If you look at a successful man for the most part, one that is happy, one that says comes in the room and they're like, you know, like, when, when, a, when a man comes in the room and they're living life right and things are really, truly good in them, you're like, I'm attracted to that dude. Mm -hmm. Like there's something awesome and powerful about him. Well, it's because he's been pushed. It's because he's been heard. But most importantly, it's because he's been appreciated as well too, mm -hmm. right? He's got other people in his life that are appreciating him of what the things that he's doing or the things that he's choo is choosing not to do, the sacrifices that he's making, the things that he's saying no to in his life. And so as somebody that's going through a challenge, I would just say that you have to find that circle. You have to find that table of people that are going to help push you, that are going to listen to you, but they're also going to appreciate you as well. Mm. In episode 102 of the show, we had John Gray, who has sold more than 50 million books. He wrote The Men Are From Mars, Women Are From oh, Venus, yes. original book yes. in that whole series. Yeah. And he spoke about the difference biologically between men and women is that men instinctively want to solve problems. 
So if they're constantly, if they're talking to their wife and their wife is trying to vent or share something verbally, the husband just constantly butts in because they yeah. want to solve problems. Yeah. Now that's going to get old really fast <laughs> right. in, the, in the relationship. It yeah. certainly has in mind when I was aware of it. I was like, I said to my wife, I didn't realize how often I just butted in to try and solve a problem, even though what she might be feeling is she just wants to know that she feels heard yes. rather than me solving the problem. And what you mentioned is there is that if guys can have an outlet around the right people to be able to solve problems and help other groups solve problems, because make no mistake, like episode 100 of this show, I shared that the biggest thing that separated me in terms of the trajectory of what I've been able to achieve in my career has been getting good at relationships. And it sounds like with you as well, like the upgrades that you have made in your life is all around getting around the right people who can see you for what you are and that potential for what you have and that right environment and can help really release that out into the world so you can step into that greatness that with consistency and a focus on growth, too many people focus on just consistency, but you need to have a growth aspect with that as well. That's enabled you to have the impact, which obviously you're you're only just beginning in so many ways too, the impact that you've had on the world. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt, you know, once again, just being able to be in the room with other like-minded guys has been a great opportunity for me to get pushed in ways that I never thought. Um, and it's been also the great thing too, is that it, it constantly is going, okay, you can do even more, right? And just like you said, just having that growth mindset, being able to understand exactly where you're at, but also do you have this vision of where you want to go and putting the right people in place? Mm-hmm. We think so much of like, well, I don't know what to do. And then there gets a point where like, okay, well, I know what to do. And then you get to that point too, it's like, well, who do I need to surround myself with? Like, who do I need to know in my life that's going to be, be better? And I think people miss that step. They know what to do, they do it, but then it has to get to that point eventually where you're like, all right, so who do I need to involve my life with? And you do a fantastic job with it. Let's love this podcast, the people that you have on it, as I've been listening to so many of it. And it's just, it's awesome because I grow through that. And because I grow through that, then I can share with other people in my life and help them grow through that as well too. And you're based in Wyoming. It's not yeah. like you're sitting in New York City around right. millions yeah. and millions of people. I mean, I yeah. grew up in, in Brisbane, Australia, and I moved to America where I didn't know anyone yeah. and forged that career. But that can actually be a great blessing, but it really should be a lesson to everyone out there watching this or listening to that is that there is no excuse for you not to connect, especially with what's happened in the pandemic. Yeah. A lot of people are using Zoom and, and catching up virtually. You can really get access to anyone you want over time with the right plan and the right focus. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's great that you said that because I did for many of my years felt like I had just settled by going back home. I felt like I had put my tail between my legs and this was the only result, or the re, only place I could go. And, and I played the victim. No doubt about it. I played the victim for many years in my life. And I looked at it as, well, you know, heck, if I was in California, I'd be this much bigger. I'd have that much more money or I'd, do the, I'd be doing this many more things. Mm-hmm. And eventually I had to look at this and just embrace the moment. I had to embrace where I was at and say, no, 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 I'm exactly where I need to be for this moment in my life. And there's something that's supposed to happen here. Something is supposed to happen and I'm supposed to figure that out. And that's exactly what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, over the last three years, with the pandemic that has hit us as an entire world, I truly believe that there is probably no greater place than to be in this the great state of Wyoming. Mm. We did not see the impact like so many other people did. Our lives did not get turned upside down like so many people did. And we were still able to you know, send our kids to school. We were still able to get outdoors. We were still able to do so many things that I know really hurt especially Americans, especially mm-hmm. people, like yourself out here uh, in California, 
life was disrupted, mm-hmm. but it wasn't destroyed. Mm-hmm. We were trying to take our, at the time, two-year-old daughter to go and do soccer practice. Everyone's wearing masks and things. It's yeah. just impossible to have that rapport for someone at a, at a young age. And there's something I wanted to share there that growing up, I lived in Brisbane, Australia for the first 28 years of my life, a beautiful city. I've still got so many, you know, all my family is out there. I've got so many friends, lifelong friends who, who live there. I thought that that wasn't a good location for me to be able to find the right network. It was only after I'd been in America for five or six years that I went back with a different attitude, Mm. a different focus, that I was able to realize that there were a whole bunch of amazing inspirational people who had the success that I wanted that I wanted and that I wanted to be connected with. It was yeah. only when I went back there with the right focus that all those people were still living there in the same city. I just had been going through the motions of not trying to get out of my comfort zone on a on a regular basis. It makes such a, a big difference. Um, and speaking of comfort zones, you mentioned climbing uh, the Grand Teton before, 14,000 feet. Yeah. Uh, amazing. And, and summoning a peak is such a powerful metaphor. Yeah. But so many people reach one height and they immediately uh, seek something else. And you mentioned earlier that that's something that you've been doing in your career a little bit too. And admittedly, I'm horrible at stopping to, to smell the roses <laughs> yeah. um, or enjoy the the view from the top of the mountain. Yeah. How do you how do you help people balance that uh, hunger for future achievements with happiness in the present? Well, so much of it goes back to the foundations that we talked about. Um, and you know, whether you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. These these foundations are still so important and imperative in your life. So we talk about faith. Faith not only in the spiritual aspect of life, but also faith within yourself. Because if you don't have either one of those, I really truly believe if you don't have either one of those, you have no foundation, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Mm -hmm. Family. How important is that? And family might just be the dog that you have right now. It doesn't have to be necessarily that you have a spouse or, uh, or that you have children yet. But more importantly, if you do have those, how important those are. And the thing is, is that what I've discovered is that I... When I was trying to become the best version of myself, when I was trying to find who I really could be, I followed so many guys that were one-dimensional. So many guys that were just absolutely amazing men of financial reward, right? But come to find out, research them, they're divorced three times, they don't know their kids, they're overweight, they're all, you know, all of these things. And it's just like, okay, but that doesn't seem congruent Mm -hmm. to me. Why can't I be the best dad? Why can't I be the best husband? Why can't I be the best businessman? Why can't I be in great shape? Like, I just don't understand why. And so I kept on searching for these three-dimensional guys, as I would say. And and I did find some, but there's not a lot of men out there that are three-dimensional, that are at least worthy of of admiring and and following in a sense. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of great dudes out there. Don't get me wrong, but I just couldn't find them at that time. And so as I was discovering these five foundations, it was also in that order as well, too, because a lot of the times it's, well, hey, listen, finances are important, and then fitness is really important, and then maybe your faith is important, or maybe your family's important. And then, you know, so there was all just jacked up. It was all, they're all messed up. And so I truly believe that there's a very specific order that if you want to live a life on fire, if you want to find fulfillment in your life, you not only have to have these five foundations, but you have to have them in that order. Faith, faith in yourself, faith in the spiritual aspect family, super important. I've never met a guy on his deathbed that has ever said, I should have spent more time making money. I should have spent more time in the gym. I should have spent more time worrying about the future. It's always about, I should have spent more time with my family. I should have created more memories. I should have seen what was more important, right? It's the reason why it's number two, Mm. right? But if you don't have faith in yourself to do that, then you can never truly become that in which you seek. So faith, family, fitness, super important. I don't want to die young. Nobody wants to die young. 
And how many people do we see that are, especially as men, we're having heart attacks at such a young age, have diabetes at such a young age. Um, you know, my dad, who's now recently retired, just turned 70, right? He's got all of these ailments because he didn't take care of himself mm. and he's not ready to go. He's in the greatest chapter of his life. He's got grandkids. He's retired now. He's worked his butt off to be in this part of his life. But unfortunately, his, fa his, 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 um, his, uh, his health is failing him. Mm. And so we as men need to understand that our fitness is absolutely imperative to the longevity of our life and the happiness of our life as well too. Mm. And of course, finances are absolutely key to that too. You should look at how you can be wealthy. You should look like should look at how you can uh, do great things with money, right? We have this rep, especially if you're on the spiritual side of it, how you know money's evil, man. Like, don't do that. No, no, no. The love of money is evil. Mm. Money is great, and you can do great things with it if you're responsible with it, right? And so I truly, we talk about that all the time. It's like, no, 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 you go be the best at what you can do and make as much money as you possibly can, but prioritize it in what we've talked about. And then of course, just sitting in there and talking about the future. How important is that? That is life-giving to talk about the future. Why are you working so hard in the moment? What are you planning? What are you doing to like, when your kids are, like, when your oldest is 21, like, what are you doing now for the future son that you have, for the future daughter that you're going to have? What are you doing to instill that greatness and their uniqueness and turning that into their greatness? What are you doing now? So I think all five of those foundations are important. So if you're struggling in life, you just have to simply look at it and say, mm. man, I'm kicking butt. My finances, finances, my fitness is doing awesome. But man, I'm a horrible dad right now. I'm not spending time with my kids. In fact, when we were here, my wife and I were just talking about this last night and she's like, I think that you need to go and, and spend some time with the boys. And I'm like, you know, you're absolutely right. Cause I've been busy. I've been in a certain season in my life and it's time for me to go back and step into that time with my boys intentionally. Mm -hmm. But you gotta have people around you that say, hey, I think you need a little bit of this. I need you going, I think you need to go in this direction. Yeah, it's a sign that you've got a great relationship. But admittedly, I, I had something a year ago where I realized, you know, I just look at a, some photos of myself and the, the journey of, of being a parent where getting out of balance. Wow. Nothing throws you off course quicker than, you know, the commitments that come from having uh, young kids around you all the time yes. and, and all of that. And that was for me a chance to reset and get really focused again on on my physical health. Again, I'm, I'm usually in, in pretty good shape as it is, yeah. but then it's been a really great year for me on that. And I felt like I've been able to bring so much energy back despite the chaos of those different things. And I actually recorded a podcast episode, episode where I spoke about eight tips of mine for a happy marriage. Mm. I'd love for you to mention if there's any secrets or anything like that that you can share in terms of how you keep the family thing on track or what you can do to prioritize the, the family and all grow together while you're all being supportive of your individual journeys at the same time. Sure. Well, first of all, I mean, it just, it, it, it just has to be a priority. My, my wife has made a commitment. Um, she stays at home. We made a commitment together, but she's made a personal commitment that her job is focused on the children. Her job is focused on the household. So just as I come in and give the financial report or I talk about the businesses or what we're doing in life and the future of life and what we're doing to prepare for a great future as much as we can, she does the same thing where she says, hey, listen, I'm preparing for this with the family. I'm preparing in these things and making sure kids get to their events and their soccer games and baseball games. But I'm also making sure that you stay on track with what your responsibilities are as a father. Um, I always love my time with my wife. I'm a, I'm super selfish husband. I'm not going to lie about that, right? <laughs> Everywhere that I go, I want my wife to go with me because I know how much better of a trip it is. Just like here, when we came out for this podcast, I was like, you, you're going to go. We're going to figure this out. We're going <laughs> to get, you know, so we make time for ourselves. We love 
making time for ourselves. And so I think it's super important for those of you that are, have like all of these foundations, you need to put key people in charge of certain areas. I call it have, you have to have a board of table. You have to have a board, right? And at your table, who's your CEO? Who's your CFO? Who are the board members that are making sure that certain areas and aspects of your life are in check? Mm-hmm. Because one person can't be all, right? Your spiritual advisor is probably not your financial advisor, right? And so I put Kate at certain positions at our table that I know that she excels in and she makes me better in those areas. Yeah, it's about the importance of being suited for the work that you're doing and the talents that you have. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what about the connection you have with your kids? Is there anything in particular that you're focused on to raise them to make sure that they're strong, they're resilient and prepared for their own life to be successful? Yeah, I mean, there's just so much intentionality behind it, right? You know, I look at our children um, individually and collectively, right? I pray for them collectively. Uh, I always pray for their spouses as well, too. I think that is so important. One of the greatest gifts that my father gave us, my mom and dad did, is that they were constantly praying for the spouses. And each one of the siblings that I have, I come from a family of seven, and we all have amazing spouses. And I don't think that was just coincidence, by the way. Um, uh, We're all married. None of us are divorced. My folks are not divorced, right? And so I think that there's that intentionality behind it that is so important as well, too. Uh, my relationship with the kids, I have individual relationships with them too. So like the, the, the girls, I take them out on dates with the boys. Um, I knew that I had to make a commitment to um, areas of their life that they loved and they had a passion in. It wasn't about my passion. So I wasn't going to take them. a baseball mitt and a baseball bat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, I mean, I love the fact that they love sports. Don't get me wrong. Right. And it's in my lane. So that's also awesome as well too. Right. But I made a commitment and one of the reasons why I continued to, I knew I had to grow the company so that I could start to step away from my companies mm-hmm. in order for me to become the dad that I wanted to be. So I saw that in the future. I started planning that I needed to get more of my time. I was a real estate agent, man. I was working seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Um, I remember the day my son was born. This is how bad it got in my life. I remember the day my son was born, he was born in the early, early mornings, uh, early morning hours, right? And uh, my wife had gone uh, in labor for... Uh, for it seemed forever and probably for her is way longer than what i remember (laughs) but kaden was born in the morning and by 10 o'clock that next morning i was gone on an appointment to show a property like i couldn't even stay the entire day when my son was born in his first day Mm -hmm. and it wasn't because i was selfish because it was what was what it was was i thought i was being the man i thought i was being the provider i thought i was doing what was important And what was important was to be with my wife. What was important was for me to be with my son, Mm -hmm. right? And so to be able to step away from that and say, okay, I I know better now because I've had men in my life correct me. I've had men in my life inspire me and men have given me examples of what it meant to be a great father. I know that I had to be in the moments with my kids. Mm. I'm going to be their coach. Is it convenient? Not necessarily, right? Uh, Is it always something I want to do? No, not really. But because they mean so much for me. I'm willing to embrace what is uncomfortable mm-hmm. and which is not necessarily always something I want to do, but because it's a priority. And I try to find those situations throughout each and every one of their lives. Because mm. you've made it a priority, it dictates the standards, which dictates the decisions that you can make much easier to say, yeah. I'm going to be here and yeah. be present rather than something yeah. else. It's yeah. huge. Uh, tell us about your daily pill. Yeah, the daily pill, my man. I got, we got into that. That was actually a really good segue into this. Uh, so yeah, I think one of the things that we realize is that when we're going and trying to achieve 
greatness in our life, right? We, we're going out there and like, I want to do something great with my life. I want to do, like, I know I'm meant for more, right? And I think everybody that's listening to your podcast, like they're all in that mindset, which is phenomenal because they all, you, we each, every one of us have an opportunity to create greatness in our life, right? The daily pill is something that I, uh, that I discovered that I needed to do because I found myself so often unfulfilled at the end of the day. I found myself just exhausted mentally, physically, and emotionally, completely drained. And as I reflected on it going, I don't think I did anything today. Mm-hmm. I don't think I, I don't, I, I don't think that I moved forward in any of my businesses. I don't think I accomplished anything. I know I didn't accomplish anything great. I think I was just putting out fires every day. And I know so many people find themselves in that, right? So how do we be proactive, right? We play defense all single, single day. How do we play offense? So the daily pill is this. You're going to take a pill no matter what, right? We all take a health pill. We all take certain pills throughout the day that help us give us energy, that help us uh, in our diabetes, that help us so that we stay mentally clear. You know, the daily pill is that you, I think something you have to take every single day, which starts with something painful, something painful. Now, don't hurt yourself. I'm not asking you to go out there and like <laughs> literally sprain an ankle or pull a hamstring, but do something painful that you don't necessarily want to do. For me, for the longest period, it's been the ice bath. Like, I don't want to do this, but I know I'm so much better because of it, right? The health benefits because of taking an ice bath are so good, but the mental benefits of stepping into that freezing water every single morning allows me to do simply one of the toughest things I have to do all day. So painful is so important. We do not choose pain. We avoid pain, right? We know the brain uh, deviates us away from pain in our day, right? You have to choose to do the painful thing. You have to choose to do the hard thing in your life. And then it comes back to this intentionality too. So the P is painful. The I is intentional every single day. Do something intentional. Write the note to your wife. Send the text to your kids. Send the message to somebody, right? Do something intentional that you want to do for somebody else. So important. When you do that, you believe that it's not only, what ends up happening is not only is it life-giving to them, but it's also life-giving to you. Do something you're lazy at, right? We are so good at becoming lazy in the areas of my <laughs> lives, right? I, I will say, I hate doing the dishes. Mm-hmm. I hate taking the trash out. My boys are old enough. They can start doing both, which is awesome. <laughs> uh, but I know that when I do those types of things, my wife appreciates it. Our relationship is better from it. She'll want to do things that I like that she doesn't necessarily like because of the things that I do first, right? Do the lazy thing that you keep avoiding, but you know that you'll either close the loop on it or you're gonna make somebody else happy with it, or you're gonna find yourself happy because you did it, right? And another thing, the last thing is that do something you love every single day, right? If you wanna live on purpose, if you wanna live with a purpose, you have to do things on a daily basis that you love doing. We avoid that at all costs because we don't love taking care of ourselves. We say, ah, man, everybody else needs my attention. Everybody else needs my time, but I'm not going to spend time on myself Mm -hmm. or with myself. And so this forces you to do something every single day, that you love. Go on a walk. For me, it's the noon workout. I don't do lunch. It keeps me away from the French fries, the burgers. <laughs> it keeps me away from those long business luncheons as well too. There's a huge benefit to that, I think as well. But it also, as, as I do my workout at noon, which I absolutely love to do, it fills my cup. It gives me energy. It gives me motivation. It helps me believe in myself because I'm building myself. I'm constantly do, taking care of myself, right? Do something every day that you love. One thing I would say to this is don't do it because you feel like somebody else loves it. I had a great gal in my life that she was asking about it too, and she felt guilty 
about watching Netflix. And I'm like, well, do you love it? And she's like, yeah, I love it. I go, well, is it out of control? Do you just like do it way too much? No, no, I only do it on Saturdays. Well, then do it. Do it. Well, that's not what great leaders do. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's what you think other people don't do. Like you love doing that. It brings life to you. It fills your cup. It gives you energy. It gives you satisfaction. Do it. You love it. Why else would you not want to do that other than what you think other people will think? Yeah. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. This is about you and you taking your daily pill. Yeah, it's huge. You know, one of the things you said there about your morning cold plunge, and I, I love a good ice bath. I've been doing that weekly for the last month, oh, actually. It's fantastic. Yes. Um, the uh, waking up, I talk about sort of the win the day morning routine. After the acknowledgement phase, the difference between like making the decision to win or you've automatically made the decision to lose. Yeah. The next bit is the sacrifice phase where it could just be a cold shower, just something that you don't want to do yeah. to prove that you've turned up for the day. So I, I absolutely love what you shared there. Um, two questions before we get into the rocket round what book yeah. contributed most to the the mindset you have today yeah um play yeah. the man by mark batterson mm, yeah i was uh i was turning 40 years old and for me 40 was a significant time in my life um it was actually almost as if it's so funny as i went into i was 39 years old and what ended up happening is i said you know when i turn 40 i'm going to be a man like there's something significant for me about turning 40. When I turned 30, that was when I had that moment in my life that I will never, ever step another foot on the diamond as a pitcher. Like that was like the funeral for me. It was the hardest birthday I've ever had. 40 was probably the greatest birthday that I've had because it allowed me to step into the responsibilities and the opportunities as a man. Mm -hmm. And I happened to be reading the book, Play the Man by Mark Batterson. And it was such an unbelievably great calling in my life. It gave me permission again. It helped me bring authority back in my life. It gave me a vision for who I could be. It gave me confidence in the areas of my life that I felt the weakest at. And it gave me direction. Mm -hmm. And it's still one of the great, I, I, I read it every single year just to get reminded of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. I love it. I mean, books give you the biggest mental upgrade they do for me. Every, I'm in a phase right now where I'm trying to just read as much as I possibly can. I sat there, I, it, what I've been doing with the cold plunge, it's um, it's a one hour session. We do cold plunge and infrared sauna yes. and you alternate. Sitting there reading an ebook in the infrared sauna. It's fantastic. The <laughs> idea is just coming to me. I was like, wow, this is amazing. So yeah. uh, get into some good books. Uh, yes. Last question before the rocket round. On your best day, what's yeah. an affirmation that you would write on a flashcard to show yourself on your worst day? Um, boy, that is a really good question, my man. Uh, I, was, I was asked that question in episode 100 and it yeah, stumped me as well, even yeah, though I've asked it now yeah. so many times. So yeah, take a moment to think about um, it. Well, I would say this, and it's something that um, my wife says often to me uh, is, um, you are loved way more than you know. Mm. Yeah. And I need to hear that in those moments of weakness. Because typically what ends up happening is because someone did something that took away my joy. Someone did something to take away my confidence. Someone did something that took away who I thought I was supposed to become and all that. And so um, for me to know that I'm loved by other people mm -hmm. helps me get through that day. Mm, that's huge. Mm. That's huge. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, let's now move to the win the day rocket round. 10 yeah, questions with some quick answers. You up for this one? Let's do it, brother. Number one, what quote inspires you the most? Uh, be a leader, not a savior. Number two, morning coffee or evening wine? Both. Number, <laughs> number three, the most popular answer on the show. Number three, what's one bit of advice you would give your 18-year-old self? Um, 
don't worry about what other people think. You be a leader and you lead you. Mm. Number four, what book do you gift the most? Uh, Play the Man and then also The One Word by John Gordon. Mm -hmm. Number five, was there a vulnerability you once hid within that became your superpower? Yeah. um, I used to constantly give this image that I was perfect, Mm. that I had all my stuff together, that I didn't make mistakes, and then I knew exactly what I was supposed to be doing. And the moment that I was able to share with my team, especially, that I didn't have all the answers, that I had made plenty of mistakes, but more importantly, I wasn't willing to just live in those moments, that I was actually going to improve them, was probably the biggest game changer in my leadership. Yeah, it gave me chills, you talking about that because of the impacts that has on mental health as well. And we put out that thing of that perfectionist ideal, when we don't live by that, all of it can just come crashing down. So that's really, really, really important, especially in the context of what we've shared today about men not being very good at asking for for help. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Number six, what's one thing you've learned about failure? Um, That it's not final. Mm. Number seven, if you could sit on a park bench and have a conversation with someone alive or dead, who would it be? Uh, My future me. Mm. Oh, that's a good one. I think that might be the best answer ever. Actually, it's really good. Uh, Number eight, what tool or resource best helps you run your life or business? Yeah, uh, this Whoop Band Mm. has been phenomenal. Tracking my sleep, my calories, my recovery, my HRV. This has really allowed me to make sure that I'm prioritizing my health so that I can be at my best. Yeah, you got real metrics. Yeah. Love it. Number nine, share one thing on your bucket list. Um, We were just thinking about this with Man Made, like our next (laughs) alpha camp. And an idea that I've had for a long time is to go swim with a great white shark. Awesome. Where are you going to do that? In a cage, of course. South Africa? Uh, That, or I think you can do it off the coast of Hawaii as well, too. Yeah. Um, But yeah, then we get out there and see our man, William, as well, too. Yeah, absolutely. So great excuse to get to Hawaii. For sure. Go see Ocean Ramsey on the North Shore. She's amazing for all that. Uh, Number 10, what's one thing you do to win the day? Um, For me, it is... Uh, it, my morning routine is absolutely critical, but one thing that I have to say every day, um, or I have to listen to, cause you talk about this a lot is saying that you're going to, that today is going to be a good day and you're going to tackle the day. For me, I didn't have the confidence in myself enough. So I had to hear it. And for me, there's a spiritual aspect of it, but to hear that today is going to be a great day mm-hmm. because I didn't have faith in myself, but I definitely had faith in the person that was saying it. Yeah, love it. So good. There are a bunch of ways to connect with Josh. We'll link to all of these in the show notes. You can follow him on Instagram at Joshua D. Kalinowski. Grab a copy of his book, Strike Three on Amazon, and visit his website, joshkalinowski.com. Again, all that and more will be linked in the show notes. Brother, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, It's been a pleasure, brother. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Win The Day podcast. We want to hear your thoughts on what we covered today, so drop a comment on the YouTube version of this episode with your favorite takeaway, any questions you have, or what action you'll be taking as a result of what was shared in this episode. And if you found value in the Win The Day podcast, leave a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You'll find a link to both of those in the show notes. It'll only take you a few seconds and more ratings really helps other people discover the show so they can get the mindset upgrade they need and we can bring more winners into the Win The Day movement. That's all for this episode. Get out there and win the day. Until next time, onwards and upwards, always.